0: yeah welcome back to another episode of cloudy with a chance of code This episode two yeah you know i think i think episode one you know all episode ones are a little rough i think uh but i think ours was pretty good you know i was listening to it and i thought that um there was some good stuff in there i think especially Tong, when you were talking about like different perspectives on tooling like developers versus operational and like different trade-offs you make. That's really cool. I think that could be a whole thing. I don't know. You should write a blog post on that if you haven't already. Um, oh, that should actually be a post
1: of some sort or you can talk about it more in like, uh, one of these podcasts yeah. or something. Because, yeah, that...
0: You could do like a whole conference on that like a conference talk on that if you wanted to It's do pretty. yeah
1: interesting. and that's like talk about like starting a flame war, possibly right because uh <laughs> those two areas are definitely different yeah but yeah definitely uh i'm, I'm glad you liked the other pack uh, episode I, I i listened to it like five minutes in honestly i couldn't listen to the rest of it i just don't like listening myself so uh that was that was cool uh, uh so
0: anyway yeah, you know, I think I don't know. Well, you get used to it. Well, that's the thing is like when uh, for editing, it's like you gotta listen to the whole thing at least once because you're, <laughs> you know. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't. Know, like, Maybe after. No, you don't. You have, you, I, don't I mean, know. you were you were there. You were, you already lived it. But, um, but
1: yes, that's true.
0: Uh, but yeah, that was that was good. And then I thought I don't know the other thing I thought was interesting that you mentioned was like with the um the three different types of diffs that are like interesting when you're doing I guess like you know config as code changes you mentioned like the different types of diffs you do with um i guess oh yeah nobody nobody really knows about that one dude um so that'll be a good blog post or something too or yeah
1: yeah so you know cdk right you wish you do apparently a lot of i didn't even know that until uh, last time we spoke um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you hit that deploy button or whatever script you're using called the API and like, you know, package up your code. And there's, you know, I don't know, the CLI provides some conveniences, but you probably have some custom wrapper tooling or to do additional things that you need to yeah, do for your specific yeah. thing. And at that point, once you send out that call, unless you're writing the polling logic, right? You, first of all, it's async, right? Uh, I think it's probably async, uh, but there's no preview. Or, or you no, know, CDK. You did tell me there is a preview of some sort, but yeah, then I there's, said there's additional yeah. previews that I kind of provide on top of that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have to revisit yeah. CDK, and I remember now. Yeah, they probably incorporated chain sets. I'm guessing that's what they did. Um, I don't know. Are they incorporating basically essentially CloudFormation chain sets? I feel like I'm repeating myself from last time. Yeah,
0: I think so. It seems like the same kind of information, but yeah, I think that's all dependent on like the underlying resource. You know, I think different resources do a better job of telling you what's changed versus not. You know, and then there's like. I don't know the usual noise where it's just like every lambda function changed because like it generated a new zip file even though it's like probably the same <laughs> nothing really changed but like the, the bytes are different so it's different I, I don't know um, and then like I think I complained about this already so this will be my last complaint <laughs> but like I think with CDK like they try to make things easier so it's like they pick a lot of defaults for everything which is kind of nice when you're getting started but then if you upgrade your CDK version. And then, like, do a diff. Like, you'll get massive changes, and you'll be like, "I didn't change anything. (laughs) Like, my code did not change at all." But like, because the default changed in like the backend CDK stuff, it's like, oh, all of a sudden now, like, it's actually sending different CloudFormation uh, parameters, and it's like, that's not at all what I want, right? Like, so So, so,
1: CDK because you have done more CDK than me. It packages an essentially CloudFormation template uh, eventually, and then deploys it. So is it one CloudFormation template or is it multiple CloudFormation template? And then there's some additional API calls around that that uh, kind of glues that together.
0: I think it's like, well, with the CDK, you have like your app, your CDK app, which like is composed of multiple stacks. And I think that like for each stack, it's like its own CloudFormation template. I think it just I think it's just one. I'm not sure. Like, there's a command to look at it, but I never do it. Like, if you do if you do Synth, like, for Synthesize. Right. Like actually generate the templates and everything, and you can inspect those. Um, I never paid that much attention to it. Sometimes I look at it, it's just to like get an idea of, like, what it's doing, um, or, like, to do a more in-depth diff. I want to see, like, what's changing. But I don't think it does. I think it just does one per stack. Um, it's Everything is modeled as, like, a separate cloud formation, like um I guess they call it a stack. I don't know—is that what it's called CloudFormation or not? It's just called. Of course,
1: hours. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and CloudFormation is called a stack. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, yeah. you generate the code, which is a template, and you deploy stacks. I was just curious if they were doing multiple stacks. It sounds like they are. Now I'm curious. The next that leads to the next question: whether or not they're doing nested stacks and they're letting CloudFormation handle that via nested stacks, or they're basically just managing the individual stacks directly more themselves. You know, CDK. I mean, yeah. I messed around CDK before. It's been a long time. You know, um, and I. Thought that was, it was kind of interesting just hearing you say, Oh, you know, uh, you're not sure you didn't have to look at it, which is actually a good thing, right? Because yeah. uh, AWS prefers to um, not leak, have leaky abstractions. I hear that from their employees all the time like, no leaky abstractions. I guess somebody that repeats it in their hallways or something. But <laughs> for, for me, I think it's actually okay to have leaky abstractions at certain times, particularly when the space is evolving and kind of. Um, new and raw. And what I mean by that is because you're probably going to have to understand some of that in order to debug it and fix it until there's, there's like a stable abstraction. Does that mean? So it's okay yeah, for I a leak know. abstraction I think yeah, to course, leak yeah. if it's unstable. All right? Uh, and I'm not saying CDK is completely unstable but it's still raw, you know? A lot of this stuff they throw out there and then like, you know, we have to test it out and how we, kind of, we kind of fix it and stuff. Or, or no, we don't fix it. We more, more like provide feedback to AWS team. And I don't yeah, want I don't to rag of us, right? Because it's like, dude, who else can build CDK? I'm not doing it, right? So I really appreciate that they do that, essential for free, right for us. But like, uh, you know, usually they kind of toss out there, and then you kind of have to figure out usually like a beta or something, and eventually they, you know, make it more stable. But because I think, you know, it's sometimes a little raw that the new stuff. You it's nice to actually have that abstraction leak. Then you're like, oh, if you know a little bit of cloud formation, then you kind of like understand what what they're trying to do right? Or, like, just Linux or something, right? Like, if that leaks, like, through some CLI command, you're like, oh, that guy's trying to shell out to this command, and it's like, oh, I know that underneath line commands, I can help fix it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I
0: don't know how much they're trying to hide. I mean, I think you definitely have to understand CloudFormation to understand the CDK, and I think it's one of the things they did, well, I don't know, (laughs) like, is, like, they don't try and hide it, and in fact, like, almost every, like, CDK type has, like, a mirror, like, cfn type so like
1: yeah yeah there's a yeah. The
0: cognitive user pool but there's a cfn cognitive user pool which like just directly models like what would be in CloudFormation like json or yaml instead of trying to do anything fancy at all and that's kind of like that's always useful if they haven't gotten around to like fully modeling something new you can always fall back and just do the cloud stuff where yeah sometimes things are handled slightly differently and um I forget why. There's a couple of cases where, like, we're using the CFN version of, like, the uh, Cognito user pool for some reason. Because something, you couldn't change something in, like, the CDK version at some point in time. And it's hard to, like, switch between those because, you know, the ideas are already generated and everything. But... um.
1: You guys really went all in there, right? You guys are being using Cognito <laughs> for your user kind of um, you know, storage management. Oh, man.
0: There, AWS for everything. Yeah, are you kidding me? Oh, AWS all the time. Yeah, Take Well, I mean,
1: I, I've messed around with Cognito a lot. Actually, I, if I have a production application that actually runs Cognito stuff. I still have mixed feelings about it. Um, there, there's some stuff that I would kind of like to have more control over, and have to like you know having not having to tie in the like the whatever Cognito authorizing those Lambda functions, which are a pain in the butt. Um, yeah. But. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That that was a hard one to abstract. I think into a yeah, service. Geez. We yeah, we can do
0: a whole whole thing on Cognito. Yeah, I definitely have many opinions about that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I know you have mixed feelings, right? It's
1: like it's like I understand the dream, right? But it's like at the same time, it's like, dude, sometimes maybe this is this easier if you just built in your kind of programming language and you're kind of you know you have full control in the app tier, right? Instead of having to have to make service calls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I got mixed feelings about that. And like, yeah, I run one actually on production live and all that. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I get, Yeah, Cognito could be a rabbit hole, yeah. yeah.
0: And so what's, yeah, should we talk about, talk about JETS?
1: Yeah, we could talk about um, JETS. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of all over the place right now with CDK. I'm thinking about that, my last note about CDK <laughs> before maybe we jumped in JETS, because you didn't mention your interest in JETS, and we'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit right now. But if you get a chance also not just to mess with CDK, but to mess around Terraform, that'd be actually interesting. Because it's weird. Like, CloudFormation is very decorative. CDK is very kind of like full programming language. Is you know somewhat more procedural, right? Terraform mm-hmm. it's kind of like right in between. And there's like a Terraform CDK too. But because Terraform is kind of right between, and they actually have the ability to create something called modules in Terraform that are actually already allows to do abstractions, right? And that's why some people, you know, don't go all the way to CDK and Terraform. CDK is, is newer too. But I think that's why there's the CDK thing in the AWS world because um, CloudFormation itself is just YML, you know, I guess Jason school, But you can't abstract it unless you use Nested uh, Stacks, which is a little bit uh, gnarly, I guess. But anyway, so that's my last kind of, you know, rambling point about
0: that. Uh, Yeah, I I know some people love Terraform, but I don't know. I would never look at it. I I looked at it, like, early, early on, but I thought it was insane how, like, before they had any kind of, like, shared storage. And I thought it was insane that you were like keeping your deployment state locally on a local machine. Yeah. Like yeah, I thought yeah. that was the most insane thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. uh, and, and I don't know at this point, I mean, I don't know, like a big part of the reason that we're using CDK, right. is cause it's like an AWS, you know, native AWS supported thing. So it's like, yep. it's like, I don't know, like the bar has to be pretty, that's a thing with like, I think in general, with AWS services, like even like we're talking about Cognito, all this stuff, like AWS stuff it's just never really the best solution, but they just have like the breadth of everything. And it's like good enough for most things. And it's better than What's like better than doing it yourself. You know what I mean? So um, I think they're the best in some areas, but, um, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, but, so that's uh, a very it, strong uh, recommendation. The best in some areas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right in the middle there. I don't There's some stuff in AWS. I love and there's some stuff. And I like, and I mean, I'm not doing terror reform by choice. Okay, so I do some other work, and I have to go on Google. I have to go on Zero, so yeah. I needed something that worked for that. And I actually yeah, yeah, tried yeah, the yeah. native solutions for Google, Google Deployment Manager, you know, uh, and um, and that was just it was very rough. Uh, yeah, so eventually, that's why I did Terraform. Now, actually, because of that, uh, I, I um, have an appreciation between Terraform and CloudFormation, and what you're saying, I state. You don't have to store it locally, but that's the default setting. Yes, and that's insane That's default, right? Uh, but there are some other issues with Terraform too. I mean, you have to you just, you just with confirmation. You don't have to think about state because AWS manages the state for right. you, right? Right? With with Terraform, now you have one more darn thing to worry about, right? which kind of sucks. And then the HCL language itself. Some people love it. I'd, I would say most developers hate it because <laughs> it's just a weird, weird language um, in, in a lot of ways. There's just a lot of like. the the loops and stuff all work a little bit differently but anyway yeah so yeah you want to talk about jets so uh what questions do you have about jets man
0: when is the cdk support for jets coming out No. um... (laughs) (laughs) no i think you know just is really cool and it's uh i don't know maybe you should give a quick intro to what it is and like why you came up with it but um so uh
1: jets is a serverless framework i wrote in ruby uh, there's not a lot of tooling uh, in, in the Ruby space around or, or serverless. I think there's one more called Lambda, but really Jets is like a huge beast compared to uh, a lot of these things. And uh, the reason I wrote it is because I'm a, a Ruby developer. Uh, like I've done a lot of Ruby. I do other languages too. Uh, actually, I've done a lot of different languages. But uh, I'd still, I still like the Ruby language a lot and I was doing a lot of Rails development in my earlier career. And then I was like, dude, I want to do something for a serverless because I need to build like something where I don't really want manage servers with uh but I wanted to do ruby uh and guess at that time actually when I actually wrote jets uh, ruby was not supported so uh I strapped on support by shipping a, a Lambda ZIP function, uh, a, a creating a Lambda function, and then basically uh, shoving that interpreter in there, <laughs> and then actually uh, the first uh, implementation was kind of funny. I shelled out, dude. I shelled out because uh, <laughs> you, you could you could have basically what what was supported like Node, yeah, Node, Node was supported at that time, like n- Node whatever, like five or six, I don't remember. And then uh, I shelled out with Node. Then I called the interpreter and shell out then parse out of those outputs from the CLI, and then shove that back up through the Node shim. Uh, so that was, like, my first desperate attempt. I, at like, I just want to get Ruby in there because I, I just didn't want to work with Node. You know, just yeah. being, being silly. And uh, uh, that first attempt was way too slow because shelling out and loading the interpreter every single time you do that uh, is, like, five seconds or something. It's, like, even with, like, a very large RAM footprint, but eventually, what I kind of did was I was like, oh, what if I just actually start up like a subprocess, like a server, and just kept it running, right? So that's actually the, the implementation in Jets I, I originally shipped with, where actually it was a, um, the first call would start up the server and then leave the server running the background in. Yeah. And then uh, additional calls would be web requests, actually. So it would be actually fast. It would just be fast as a regular, actually, um, language. Then eventually, when Lambda actually came out with their custom runtimes, that's when um, uh, I just like, oh, we could use custom runtimes. And their custom runtimes was implement exactly the way I implemented uh, the original uh, Ruby on Jets shim. Uh, anyway, so that was tangent. For quick introductions, basically Ruby on Jets is like a serverless framework that just allows you to write, I guess, uh, Lambda functions in Ruby. But uh, it does it uh, with essentially a DSL. So domain-specific language where you're actually not really thinking about Lambda at all. You don't think about deployment. You actually just write a class, like a, a controller class, and then you write methods. And then uh, Jets it's, uh, basically reads through that controller co- code, and then um, it compiles it down, kind of. It kind of packages it up into lambda functions, and then it deploys each of those methods that you define in class as a separate lambda function. So it just basically kind of parses. And that doesn't. It doesn't parse. It doesn't do any parsing. But it's a DSL that gets evaluated, and then uh, it defines those lambda functions, deploys it for you. Yeah. So hopefully that was a decent introduction, even though I went on like a random tangent in the middle there. And then on top of that, like when you're in the service where you are, know this because you're working CDK and stuff, right? So you have like Lambda functions. That's like, the, I guess, the, the core of serverless. But then you have all these additional um, you know, features and server or serverless uh, features that, are, that help you with your service de- serverless development, I guess, like API Gateway. Right or like mm, or let's say um, cloud watch events. It's not called CloudWatch watch events or cloud watch rules. It's called um, something else now. What's that news name? It's, it's a couple years old now. Um, oh, eventbridge. Yeah, eventbridge rules now. So they they move cloud cloud watch rules to eventbridge rules. So anyway, so what um, basically Jess does is you can define your call your methods. You can define like um, your routes, like in a routes.rb file and then that file also gets evaluated, and then that gets translated into APAC gateway resources. And At the end of the day, what Jets does is just evaluates the code, and then it compiles it down to a CloudFormation template, and then it ships the CloudFormation template. This is why I keep asking about, oh, CDK, how does it work with CloudFormation yeah. stuff? Because I'm into like, the guts of it, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. that's kind of interesting, right? Because I've ran into all those like, little issues all that, and Jets' implementations is actually nested sets. Nested cloudformation stacks. And uh, I actually don't like CloudFormation nested stacks, dude. I don't know if you had a chance to use that yet. Uh, have you had, played with nested stacks uh, before?
0: think no I don't think so. No, I don't think so.
1: Well good for you because it's terrible. you know <laughs> I mean it, I mean it, it's, it's, it's a hard way to kind of reuse cloudformation code, right? Uh, I mean, there are so, so certain use cases. Jets is actually a decent use case of that. And the, the reason I say that is because the way Jets works is you write your code and you actually don't think about orchestration or deploying it. When you run just deploy, it's going to compile down to all the nested templates it needs and then just deploys everything in one go. And that means also if you need to delete and clean up everything, it also does everything in one go. So uh, you just actually don't have to manage like, you know, I've seen some kind of tools. So you have to like deploy, then you have to go back and run another command. Like, you know, that's state. You have to keep uh, track of those sequence of steps, which is hard, yeah.
0: Was that always the way with Jets? It was like that from day one using CloudFormation?
1: Always, because uh, early on... I had another tool called UFO, and that's like the ECS world and manages ECS deployment. And that tool also essentially compiles down like an ECS task definition and compiles down like a load balancer if you're using a load balancer in front of like ECS service. And then it compiles down like the ECS service and then deploys it via temp- CloudFormation template also. But that tool, when I originally wrote it, um, there's no like load balancer support because just ECS came out and was like, oh, to do a load balancer, you have to. You know, create a load balancer, then like update the service, and then associate the load balancer with the service. Blah blah blah. All right, and uh, I actually did it that way via the APIs at first, and I I, I built a separate standalone tool. It's called ELB. And I know it's not like a you know, very thoughtful name, but it's called, it's called ELB, and that was a standalone tool that I made raw API calls, just basically uh, creating the load balancer and associating with the E, e- C S service, and then and I did that as an experimental proof of concept. And immediately, I was like, I already had a feeling that it was not the way to go. And immediately, I was like, oh, you know what? It's better to do this in CloudFormation because I guess what? I don't have to manage what you just said my Terraform state. Managing state is very hard, especially when you clean things up. And if you go look at the serverless JS framework, they originally started with raw API calls too because I studied them. I actually combed through the source code of serverless JS. And, um, and what they eventually did was they dropped all the API calls and they compile everything down to CloudFormation. So essentially, yeah. it's kind of similar kind of strategy there. Um, basically, you know, push that work onto formations so that you don't have to manage that. Like orchestration and sequencing, that's kind of hard. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, That makes sense. Yeah, that reminds me of, I think we talked about before, but like, yeah, Chalice, like, I think they, they did a similar... Well, like, when Chalice launched, which is like a Python kind of... Same, same path, yeah. We're all learning the same thing,
1: basically. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, it makes sense, like...
0: especially when you think about, like, the... Cause like, yeah, cause like, it's great to have like the Lambda functions, they pay a gateway, but then like yeah, people need like databases or Dynamo or Cognito and then they need to make like custom resources. And then it's just like, then it gets like a pain to mix and match. But, like, but I would solutions. say this mixing, matching custom resources.
1: Okay. I think custom resources, this is where I'm at right now. Okay. I mean, cause I, I've done like serverless for a while now. Right. I have yeah, to live yeah. applications yeah. running on serverless, just like you. Right. And um, if you are doing custom resource, and it's stateless yeah just do it in code if you're doing custom resource <laughs> in their state you might want to think twice about that right because yeah. all of a sudden you change a version change your cdk and your rds database disappears or destroys and recreates oh man that's really painful right yeah so yeah, you yeah. want decouple state just like you know like database migrations or something right like you're changing yeah. the schema of your yeah. database uh, at scale a larger application essentially, at some point you're like, I, I, I don't want to do the migration as part of deployment anymore because it could take the site down. So then you kind of decouple that process. It depends what scale you're at, depends where you're at. And yeah. also, like you said, Chalice is like, oh, it started the same way. It sounds like they start with API calls, and then now they kind of have a version. I don't know if they completely migrated over yet. I remember reading that a couple of years ago, that they were kind of like, they had like a version where there was all API calls, and they're like, oh no, we're going to start doing confirmation now, and like now we're like going to fully go over confirmation, right?
0: Yeah, yeah I, think so. they, I think they do both. I think they it's, like, they do everything, so they actually. Like you they, they can do it. Like, they'll still support the raw API calls. They'll support, like, doing um, a CloudFormation deploy, like, with the templating. And then they'll also support um, generating CDK code. And it's, like, the CDK code, actually. Wow. It's, like, because I think in the CDK, there's, like, a way to, like, just be, like, oh, use this, like, SAM template. And so I think it's just, like, it's the CDK one It's just really a thin wrapper on top of, like, the cloud that they've already done but it's because it's interesting because like there's some use cases like i ran into this other the other week where it's like for some there's some weird cloud formation kind of gotchas where like oh you can't like add rules to existing s3 buckets well yeah. mm-hmm. then like yep, yep. that like, needs then to be a custom resource <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah exactly jets and has so... a custom resource
1: built in for that actually yeah, yeah. because that was annoying yeah, yeah. Right. When cloud formation isn't supported, you have to write a lambda function in order to do custom resource, and it's very easy to to make a bug in there. You make a bug, now, you have to wait like three or four hours for it to roll back. It's miserable. It yeah. is miserable. It's miserable. Very long so debugging cycle. Can,
0: yeah, so I can see like the 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 thought process to be like, oh, let's just call the API, and then we can do whatever we want, and some stuff's not supported anyway, and we can like do whatever we want, and it's better. But like you said, like yeah, then then managing that state becomes like now that's your problem all of a sudden, and it's, it's not great for users either, because they um, so And it depends sense. where you're
1: at yeah. in your like uh, skill level, to be honest. Like,
0: like when I started, I was like,
1: I, I don't know cloud formation, so you know and then I was like, do I even want to learn cloud formation? right? And it's one of those things where once you kind of learn it, it it's like a steep learning curve. I actually think cloud formation is a steep learning curve. But the RI is huge. <laughs> Once you kind of like learn it pretty well, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't have to manage the state. And all of a sudden, it opens up a world. So it just depends where the skill level is, right? And, and like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's because you need to re- learn the raw API calls to then understand if CloudFormation runs an issue, what's actually happening. Yeah. So it's just like kind of pain. That's just, yeah, but I, I know exactly what you kind of mean by that kind of step. And even with CloudFormation, there are going to be some issues. There's limits, okay? So, dude, check out this limit. So, um, formation for a while, and you, know, you just have to look up like uh, formation limits or quota limits or whatever. They could only allow you to create like I don't know, like 200 resources. There's a lot now within one template, but before it was like 50. They increased it to 200 a couple years ago, right? Well, guess what? There are some actually people who use Jets who had more than freaking 200 resources on nested stack. So okay, so the way it works, okay, with Jets, is there's like a controller. You write like a separate controller. It's so like so the typical like Ruby Rails like model post like a blog, okay. Then you have like users or something, and then you have like comments, okay. Posts and comments, okay. So usually you write like a, a a class right with an index that lists all the actions. Then like a create, so that's another lambda function, right? That creates the the, the, the and then maybe like you know a delete right to delete a uh, 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 edit just. To, to sh- to see the edit of you, and then like an update to up. So you have like the seven CRUD actions, or so to speak. Okay, so there's like that results in I don't know. I think like it's like double that. 14 resources that are created in the confirmation template. Well, some of these guys write really monolithic code, and they're like, oh my goodness, there's like more than like 50, dude. Right. So then, thankfully, eight of us like increased the limit to uh, you know 200. So then now it's really hard for them to hit that limit. However, some people then will have controllers after controllers after controllers. Like, it's just, they're running megaliths, dude. And I, I would like say, maybe for serverless, stay away from megalith, okay? Because it's like, that, that's maybe a more traditional, like, container app. For serverless, like the megalith, it's very hard, but Jets has done it, dude. So just so you know, <laughs> there's some people out there with 500 Lambda functions in one app, dude. Okay? And you know what that happens? You run to rate limit issues, like galore. It's crazy. So I, I just literally fixed like a couple of rate limit issues uh, for jets for a customer that was like, he, they had like 300 routes or something." <laughs> yeah. So basically those routes translate to API gateway routes, right? Yeah. so here's here's the tricky thing. So at more than 200 routes, I can't fit that to one cloud template because there's a limit 200, right? So what do I have to do? Paginate page one of routes, page two of routes, okay? So the issue with that is, and I'm like, okay, that's no big deal. It was annoying, but I paginate it, right? But the issue is later on when they move a route later or delete or add a route, it can move a route from one page to another page. Right. So two separate CloudFormation templates, right? And guess what happens? APAC Gateway or CloudFormation tries to create a new resource first because it tries to do the same thing before deleting the old resource because, you know, that's a safe approach, right? Unlike Terraform, always. Terraform doesn't always take that approach. There's, like, ways you could tell it and force it to do that, but it doesn't always do that approach Do it. You'll be surprised. It deletes the instance before it creates a new instance in Terraform line sometimes. I'm just like, oh, my goodness, right? <laughs> I, I'm coming from the CloudFormation world, so I'm just, like, shocked by that, right? But, of course, it just depends, right? It might be the underlying cloud provider, too, like Google, like, the, the, there's no, like, random instance ID or their... You, you, you can make your random instance but there's actually name IVs for the VMs. And so that's why they delete the VM before they create one unless you write your code through Terraform. Code. Anyway, going around tangents. But guess what? With the routes, it will move. So what will happen was uh, CloudFormation tried to create a new route and then uh, it will say, that route already exists. I'm going to roll back my stack so people can deploy. <laughs> so the only way you can do it is when you have more than freaking 200 routes is you have to delete your route right? And then you, ha- then you have to kind of deploy again, which is just downtime. That's not acceptable, right? And the other way you can do it is you can use something called blue-green deployments where you deploy like an extra environment and then basically swap over to it by pointing like DNS, you know? That's another kind of approach you could do, right? Uh, there's a- actually a third approach where you can actually there's a flag where you can force a recreation of the API gateway resources entirely. But anyway, so what I end up doing, this was just recently, okay? That's why it's fresh in my mind. Uh, I ended up actually... Um, Keeping state, some state myself, basically recording the state of all the routes in which page that they lived on, and then making sure they stay on that same page. So I recreated the routes based on the current page. So when they added new routes, it'll always first kind of fill out the current pages, then add additional pages as needed. And that kind of fixed the problem. Yeah. But yeah, so you can run into like limitations like that when you're doing it at scale, right? So we're talking about like, you know, apps with like more than 500 no functions, like, right? you know, apps with more than 200 routes here. And like, for what it's worth, I don't see a lot of other serverless frameworks doing even close to that, dude. Because I, I think maybe CDK does that. Maybe CDK is capable of that. Or I'm mean, talking about like 500, maybe 1,000 resources. Jets can do that. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of resources, buddy. It's really not. If you think about the way API, model, API gateway models stuff where it's like, yeah, I mean, each... Yeah, the tree, right? The path, the Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. Is a separate yeah. resource. Yeah, that's interesting. Like with the Lambda functions... Um, I think the way Chalice does this is like it does just, it deploys one Lambda function for all your routes, um, but then it does have separate API gateway resources, but they just all map to the same Lambda function.
1: So it does one route, right? But unless you're doing jobs, and then I noticed that's this is like for my memory like three years ago, okay? So it might be off, but then if you're doing like a job or essentially you like, you you use a decorator right on top to say the crumbs, the schedule event, right? And then that's when it creates like a separate Lambda function, but does it as needed. So smart enough to do it as needed. But then I will say, wow, that must be a pain in the butt to maintain that code base because now you have two branches of the different code, right? So I'm just like, imagining, I'm like, oh, what a pain in the butt. That's why, for what it's worth, I actually consider doing a similar approach where there's like a, just one kind of proxy, right? Like one route. And then basically the routing actually, you know, and I, I just thought it was cool to actually do it the other way with all the other routes. But, um, see, uh, that's where maybe,
0: I know, think it's good I, to do, no, I mean, I think it's good to have the separate API gateway routes because the problem, if you just have a proxy route is that you couldn't have, like, you couldn't do different authentication or like other API gateway things for different routes. If it was all one route, you know, um, so if you wanted to have like slash admin hooked up to Cognito and like slash public not, but they were all going with one API gateway route, then you couldn't do that. I don't think with, with, uh. Confirmation API Gateway, but... So, like, Chalice does make separate API Gateway routes, but it just has one Lambda function for the HTTP stuff. Um, you're right, like, you know- if you do job, different jobs and stuff like that, it will create, like, for... I think for each... Yeah, for, like... it Basically, it's, it is a special case, like you said, for the HTTP stuff. So all the HTTP stuff goes to one Lambda function, but they do get modeled as, like, as different API Gateway routes. Um... um yeah, so it's it's maybe like a hybrid approach, I guess. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, so I
1: prefer that. I feel like it's more idealist kind of approach, too. But I can see why, because you run into those issues, right? And then, like, yeah. you know, probably like child's guys are laughing, going, ha, ha, ha. That's why we do it <laughs> that way, yeah? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. But you know what? We got it done. By we meet. But anyway, uh, uh, what I'm going um, I, I um, to do is because I actually, I'm going to try to the, I don't know if it's going to actually let me. We'll see right here. Oh, I got it activate chime or something here uh oh no never mind uh, i was gonna actually just share my screen and kind of show you because actually i don't know if you actually seen what the code looks like dude it looks like regular ruby code it's a dsl
0: oh it is it is yeah it is it is really cool and it's like um it's this it's been around for a long time how long is this like what eight years nine years it's like it's, it's like pretty old oh uh, right? like, yeah it's-,
1: it's been a long time i could do like a git log real quick on it and see when was the first commit <sighs> And uh, it's, no, just it's like and you quick. said,
0: it's like the only option for doing like Ruby. I mean, like, oh, not the only, I guess, but like probably. Yeah, the- there's a couple other options, but it's n- nothing as kind of massive
1: of an undertaking as this, I will say. You know, I uh, will be fair. You know, there, there's o- other uh, tools out there. I think the other tool is Uh That's more like a um, kind of like a rack handler that just wraps around it. It's very simple uh, intentionally, you know, just different kind of design, I guess. Okay, my first commit. Well, 2017 October. So it's been around for six years or so, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. (laughs) I wrote it just so you know. I I mentioned this on some other videos I did, but I wrote it like around um, maybe like three Christmases. You know, that's what I do during Christmas while Matt's is releasing like new Ruby versions. That's the thing the Ruby community. Every single Christmas they release a new Ruby version. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. No, that's Um, awesome. No, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: it's yeah, it's a great, great, great framework, and yeah, I don't know, like, what else would. Um, so, do you have like, what's the community like? Do you like? It? Do you hear from a lot of people using it? Um, like,
1: I know you. Yeah, I would say the community is still very small. I will, I will hope that more people will contribute, but I, th- I think I know why though. Okay, so I think the community user is actually pretty decent. It's the third largest kind of gem on the like the. Um, on the web framework world. But again, mm. Jets is like really far behind Rails and Sinatra. And then after that, is Jets actually is number three. It's been downloaded like half a million times, which again, very small numbers compared to something like Rails and Sinatra, right? But it's a different thing because it's this little niche, right? It's like a, a serverless thing, right? Um, but uh, I, yeah, I would say amazing. the community, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's larger than pretty much all the other kind of uh, web frameworks out there in the Ruby space, right? But in like if you compare it, let's say like, serverless JS, which is backed by VC funding, right? Versus kind of like one guy on me doing it, right? So the community is small because it's mainly me. There's like community forums like community.voteops.com. That's where I shifted everything to. And people, you know, there's actually got the most posts there. So people still ask kind of questions there all the time. And like I answer most of the questions and then basically once in a while somebody else will show up and like answer a question like once I every 10 questions something I get so happy <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice right so it's more like a lot of people use it but they don't contribute right and that's that's the that's the damn thing about <laughs> that's the thing about open source right like you, you don't get a lot you want contributors you don't want like users necessarily like users are great it makes you very happy at the very beginning especially as like you know your first couple of projects but you will like contributors but I think I know why It's because what we mentioned earlier, DevOps versus dev, dev versus ops, right? Jets compiles a developer language down to CloudFormation template. So I just bridged it from the developer world to the ops world, which is CloudFormation, right? So you don't get a lot of people who are kind of interested in necessary both, right? And then, you know, so you get a lot of developers that are interested in like, oh, the 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 Ruby aspect of the language aspect of it, or you get like, the ops guys, you're interested in cloud formation aspect, of, right? But you don't get a lot of guys that are like, oh, you know, I've kind of played with both. I can now combine this together, and then I then I, can, I help contribute. So that's that's the tricky part, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, how it is. It's just always been like that. And I feel like it's also another thing is just Ruby doesn't seem to be like a big thing in the enterprise world. You know, and it's a shame too because so I went to uh, Japan a couple years ago to present on Jets actually. And the cool thing about that is, uh, Japan is where uh, Ruby is born, right? Mats, uh, Mats is from uh, Japan, and over there they 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 use like Ruby like crazy. And one of the uh, presenters was talking about how they're um, basically uh, shipping Ruby in like uh, M Ruby, Micro Ruby, uh, in a satellite. So they're like, yeah, Ruby is in space now, you know. So it just there's a community there that is a big Ruby community, right? And the... and the, Here's the other thing that's kind of interesting, too. Like, think about all the big websites, right? Especially during startup days. Um, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, when there was, like, I guess I feel like more startups then. Like GitHub, right? It's everything in Ruby. Uh, Stripe, you know, payments processing yeah. Ruby, dude. Shopify, you know? yeah. Shopify, right? These are huge players, right? Except at some point, I guess everybody, like, started going, okay, what's the next cool thing? And then, like, it started becoming, I don't know, uh, Elixir for a while there, then Rust, then Node, Right. So whatever was kind of the coolest trend at that point in time, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, the community, I would say is still pretty small. Um, You know, uh, I will hope for more. And I'm talking about contributors. Right. Uh, Users is is, is definitely there. Like uh, if you're using serverless and and uh, and and Ruby, um, I would say that's kind of the option right there. I
0: was going to say, like, going back to what you're saying about the ops and dev thing. I wonder if you could do something like chalice does where like you have CloudFormation support where like a CloudFormation template or i mean a cdk support um sorry like a cdk construct that's like deploy like jets app you know um it, could. it might be interesting
1: it's yeah interesting. i mean I... oh
0: go ahead. no no you go ahead i was thinking about two things at once <laughs> and, like i thought it's interesting you have this like polymorphic support where you can like do python and node stuff in jets um where, where did that come from? Oh, so uh, basically,
1: um, what I can do, what you can do, right, is it um, so remember, JETS evaluates your kind of methods, right, and then whatever that method is, is can translate that to, uh, uh, to a Lambda function. Lambda has different runtimes. Like, you could run, or you could write Lam- uh, Lambda in, in Ruby, you could write it in uh, Python, you could write it in Node. So basically, what that does, polymorphic support, is it's compiling uh, that. Um, that folder with the where you're going to place that method in into this like a Python function. And then Jets will basically route to that function. Uh, but it, it's actually like a pretty direct route. It's like you're literally, what you're going to actually see is Python code. You're going to see like Python code in your, um, you know, the Lambda council and everything. Yeah, so that's uh, why did I do that? I think there was a project. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There was this project where I was writing um, what are these things called? Uh, it's a, a security thing. Uh um, There's like a security thing where you could write like security rules conformance um, or compliance. Um, What's that thing in the service um, security space? Anyway, so there was basically like, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Um, um, It's like best practice, good standards, uh, like some type of standard where you, oh, CIS, CIS compliance standards. So there's like a bunch of Lambda functions out there for people who have to like implement compliance, right? And then you could hook that up to uh, the AWS. Um, what, what are they called now? I, I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, so you hook that up to like a CloudFormation resource too, right? But a lot of the open source uh, methods out there or, or examples out there were written in Python. So I was like, hmm, am I going to sit here and translate 300 you know, Python methods to Ruby, right? That doesn't seem like a great use of time. Or am I just going like, add polymorphic support? So I made up the term, I'm like, oh, polymorphic support, I guess, you know? You could call it another language. So, so that's what that's why I basically ended up doing there. And the way, remember, the way it works is whenever Ruby, Ruby has some kind of metaprogramming magic that this is one of the reasons why Ruby, people who write Ruby eventually gravitate towards writing DSLs, because it allows you to write like metaprogramming a little more easily. So Ruby has actually a hook called method add it. So whenever you define a method, that hook method at it will get fired. So what you have to do is you can define the method at before you define your class, OK? And then as the Ruby interpreter is basically reading through your source code, it says, oh, do you, you? I just read through this class definition and it has the methods in it. Did you previously define a method at hook? If you did, then I'm going to run that hook. So as those methods are being evaluated, right, it basically says, hey, I see a method. And that's when guess what? Jets basically grabs that method out of there and then it starts building a cloud formation. T- it registers it for later building cloud formation in a lambda function if that
0: makes sense oh cool, yeah, it's really cool yeah, I haven't seen that before in any other framework that you know like that lets you like oh yeah polymorphic you yeah. yeah yeah I mean you know the the way that the method addict trick
1: works is like you you write like That you want the language to be Python right above the method. It's like Chalice with decorators. For people who are Chalice, there's like a decorator on top, or people who are doing Jenga, right? Or people in the the Java world, they're called annotations in Spring, in the Spring framework, right? So you write like a method right above your method definition. And then basically, that language, it's like a supportive feature of that language. It can know how to take that line of code above your method and then decorate that method underneath or annotate that method uh, underneath, okay? So that's basically what it's kind of doing. And it's just annotating, and saying, "Hey, I want this to be a lambda uh, Python function instead of a Ruby function." Yeah, yeah. There's some tricks in there. Yeah.
0: Is is good to talk about, or like, what's what's next? Are you planning to add add anything else? Oh, well, it sounds like you would like the CDK support. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to <laughs> honestly play with CDK
1: a little bit more, dude. So I want because what happens is. Uh, I will play with like CDK. I mean, and you do this too, right? And then what happens is that tool doesn't do exactly what you want. So then you write a shell wrapper script around it, right, it's to, yeah. to kind of handle all the missing things, the nuances. Or like you know, if, if you know you have the time, which is it's quite hard because you have to learn the CDK core language itself, right? Then you go fork that on GitHub and then you can actually con- contribute back, right? But a lot of people don't have time, so they just do the wrapper, right? Um, Myself included. Yeah, that's how I do it, right? But then eventually, what happens is that wrapper doesn't do exactly what you need. And then I essentially build a tool that kind of does exactly what I kind of need. So that's kind of, uh, you know, JETS. But when you're talking about CDK, the immediate thing I think about is not integration with JETS. I'm thinking a separate tool. If I were to get in CDK, it would probably be like a separate tool that uh, leverages CDK and how it works best. Um, But that's what would be my kind of first kind of gut into that. And that's what I'm kind of doing right now with other things, right? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I wouldn't, you know, add it on. You know, I would build a specific yeah, tool yeah. probably for for the CDK. Just like let's say, like you know, serverless and Lambda, uh, right? And um, is AWS Lambda, but there's also like uh, serverless uh, implementations and other cloud providers too. So you know, Google has like uh, Cloud Functions, and they have like a gateway version too, where they use, uh, I think, Open API, and you just define a YML. OK, so that that's their kind of implementation in that so they are trying to kind of catch up. Of course, I think, in my opinion, is that they're kind of far behind, but they are kind of doing some stuff there, too. Uh, and then their service imp- the world gets all blended. Like their service implementations, you know, supported basic containers from the onset and Lambda supported containers more kind of recently. I would love to add actually containers more for jets. I just have is a time thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: that would be that would be cool. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the container. Yeah, the container stuff. It's funny because like it seems like I don't know. It's a little weird that how they have split the zip and the container stuff. Like I've been trying to complain for years to like get them to increase the size of like the zip upload. And it seems like the go-to answer is oh, just use containers because I think the zip it's still like 500 megs or something like that. But then containers you can use two gigs. So if you have a lot of code to upload. Um, I you thought, know. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely larger. I thought
1: it was ten gigs. The images are huge, can be oh, huge. Oh, uh, but yeah, I, I think maybe. you're right. It's uh, 500 megs on S3, but if yeah. the file system is like 64 kilobytes or something like that, or maybe 120. I don't remember. Maybe. It was yeah. But but you're right. Yeah, and that is kind of pain because guess what? Now you were responsible for uploading to S3, right? And then, or, or maybe not. parallel does that automatically for you ready? But then I guess you're still running into your... Wow, you're running that limitation 500 megs, huh?
0: <laughs> well, the problem is, like, if you're doing anything with machine learning, then, like, oh, you're already over yeah. the limit. Like, if you import, like, Scikit or uh, Pandas, like, the Python machine learning stuff, if you, like you're already over oh, yeah, already
1: over. Already yeah over. i can see that so, yeah i mean you're, yeah you're big, big data so data like you processing. can't you like,
0: cannot deploy machine any machine learning thing to lambda it's impossible with without using containers but uh, i don't know for, yeah but chalice doesn't support containers either so it's like uh chalice is okay to, are there any yeah. serverless frameworks
1: that you know if they're out there that supports containers I, i'm guessing cdk does right if you consider that, like, I've oh yeah, it probably does. Yeah, do. I mean,
0: yeah, we could. I don't know. We could probably. I don't know. I like. I really like. Um,
1: I have to deal think with one that. One of the
0: things I like. Well, one of the things I like with Chalice is like it just makes it really easy um, for not just like the deployment, but like for like doing local testing and local development. Like is really really nice. You know what I mean? Like it's that like, that experience is like way better than. Any kind of generic container thing? I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it's.
1: And when you say local development, do you mean local development with their container that you kind of spin up and you go through their essentially their Docker container? It doesn't. Or you talk about local development like raw? Oh, exactly. So I did for Jets. I do the exact same thing. I actually choose not to. You know, I I thought I thought CDK though you can do that. Or oh, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about something else. What's the other Ada? SAM. Yeah. SAM, basically, you got the container and you go through the SAM container, right? But th- that's what I'm saying. Developers will stop there. They're like, I don't want to deal with the container, right? Well, ops like, well, that's the interface, right? So, it's th- actually, for Jets, I don't have containers either. Because I thought, oh, now you have to install Docker, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is no, not no, hard, yeah. I get it, and, but it's like an and, additional yeah. step, right? And, no, p- no, and no, people yeah, want no, to, no, live, to, to live in their yeah. own world. Yeah. Well, the, the issue is on Mac OS, the, the volume sharing is extremely slow. It's always going to be pretty, it seems like it's always going to be extremely slow. And then not only that, you're you're, you're, in, different, you're in two different file systems, right? You can mount yeah, them, yeah, but like yeah. I said, it's extremely slow. So, it's, uh, it's not ideal. Yeah, so I, I totally I see what you're saying with that. I mean, I think that's the right call on CDK, you know, I mean, in terms of local development, keep everything there, install, you know, I guess you're doing Python, so install Python, get Python kind of working everything, right? use P, Y, E, and B, whatever you're doing to get the exact version, then you customize your your local environment because that's what developer wants to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: no, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and it's it's easier for everything, for, like, hooking up the bugger, for doing whatever, and then... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and there's some stuff that you kind of want, even though, like, Chalice, anyway, mocks a lot of out. but, like, if you're doing... If you have, like, custom authenticators or or, or whatever, like, you... I don't know. I don't know how Sam... Local You know, we'll the last stuff. time
1: we talked about this, I actually looked up, I did write a Chalice application a long time ago. It's like it a the Brow 53 records. It's it's currently private, but maybe at some point I should make it public so you can, can take a look at it, dude. Yeah, because you know, I know exactly what we are talking about in yeah, terms yeah. of Chalice. Of course, it's a very simple application compared to like the full application that you're building with Cognito and everything, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, Chalice is a, is a nice framework. Yeah, I like it. Again, I think it was based on Zappa originally. Yeah.
0: No, and JetStream is awesome too. Yeah, it's great how much I think thought you put into this and like all the support. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, sure will, well, sure willpower, dude. Like, like <laughs> again, this. I mean, as, ask a question here. Does Chalice support like 500 functions?
0: I you have know, no idea. Addressing yeah. rate
1: limits, right? There's GitHub issues. <laughs> I, you know, like I can show you. Like, I'm like, look at this. I have like 30 controllers, and there's like 50 methods and each of the controllers, and all they all deployed, right? It's actually very hard because you hit us rate limits, dude. Right? Like, so, just, just. I guess last thing I'll say, yeah, like, the but yeah, we probably shouldn't do that, right? All because you could doesn't mean you should, right? But in order to slow down the rate limit, guess what? I actually, I generate the nested cloud formation templates and then have the depends on. There's like a depends on like attribute you can define, right? right. And then guess what? You could actually specify how much you want to stagger the deployment by by basically <laughs> translating. So you see, you know what I mean. You actually know what I mean. So, like, yeah, that depends on, I was like, yeah, let's deploy only one nested stack at a time by slowing it down so it doesn't get rate limit, right? The default reason was actually 10 stacks at a time, right? Before it hits the rate limits and stuff. Um, and CloudFormation, because you know, you, you use it too, like, it, it's, it does a nice job in kind of like backing off and doing handling its own rate limits, but Jets makes raw API calls for different calculations too. And I, I had to back off exp- exponentially too, right? Within the Jets uh, outside of CloudFormation. So it's like, we're both fighting the rate limits actually. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: that is funny. No, man, yeah, it's great. You went through all this and like, now people can just write a nice, you know, some nice Ruby controllers and they don't have to think about it or worry about it, you know, um, that's awesome. I think it's, it's also like it's awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> it's I think it's a, also a huge accomplishment that it's like the third most popular thing after Rails and Sinatra. That's huge, you know. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's, it's still a
1: far distant third, but yeah, it's definitely up there. It's yeah, like people are using it. But people are definitely using it. Yeah. You
0: know? No, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a shame that there's not better AWS support. Although I was looking, at, yeah, I mean, I guess they do have like a Ruby runtime. Uh, At least it's better than, I guess, the old days. It's
1: like (laughs) 2.7. The latest Ruby, I think, I think Matt's just released 3.2 in December. Yeah, but there's some back, I wouldn't jump on yet, there's some backwards incompatibilities. um, Actually, around the AWS libraries. So uh, (laughs) uh, there's like a file.exists with an S that's been deprecated since I think like Ruby like one something, and they finally removed it in like Ruby 3.2, and guess what? Uh, the AWS SDKs, like a lot of them still use a uh, file exists with a, a plural S. So, then you're like, oh, man. So, now you have to update all the AWS libraries to use the exist without the S. Because there's two methods. They were A-list to each other. But anyway, uh, yeah, I ran into that recently. But um, yeah, uh, that's um, not something I'll jump in. But like, you know, Lambda, it's funny, like 2.7, 3, 3.2 is out already. And the same thing with Node and the same thing with Python. They're just kind of behind in updating the runtimes. I think it's cooler to release new runtimes than it is to update a runtime, right? Because of that, it's just, there's, there seems to be some lag, right? I mean, you're doing Python, so you're probably like, when are they going to release, three, is it 3.8 now or something? 3.8 in no, Python? I
0: think they just came out with, um, I want to say 3.11. And yeah, they're on 3.9. And it's frustrating because, I mean, like the... The 3.11, one of the big things with the Python 3.11 release was that, like, they did a ton of performance work, and, like, they are advertising, like, you know, you should see between a 10 and 60% improvement, like, speed-up improvement, which is huge, obviously, (laughs) like, and we can't, you know, and, yeah, they didn't even release last year's uh, Python, so I think it's going to be, like, two years before this is available unless they really speed up and... I, it's it's yeah it's like really frustrating I, I i wonder like why it is like i i think it must be that they are doing lots of like patching or whatever but i i wish they would at least have some kind of model where it's like okay maybe like the aws i don't know maybe there's like two different levels of support maybe there's like unpatched availability and then there's like you know um patched, like, maybe there's a difference, but, like, I'd rather use, like, the out-of-the-box version that maybe doesn't have, like, whatever any oh, magic to, like, make the cold start quicker, or maybe doesn't have whatever, but at least, like, I can make that choice, right? It's just, like, yeah, I could use a two-year-old version that maybe starts, has a cold start time that's, like, a half second better, or, like, I'll eat the half a second and get, like, the current version that has, like, yeah, yeah. 6%, you know, like, but it, I don't know. I feel like they take too much out of customer... Hands, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't yeah. know that I would make the same trade-offs that they would make in terms
1: of like the. I'm guessing the answer you probably get is like, well, you could use container support, so then you can run anything, right, or something, or a custom runtime. Right? But I That's can't always. Because, wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a, you rather you're just like no, I just want it built in, right? Yeah, I totally get it. I'm wondering like if it's not just because oh, it's not cool to like just do patch updates, but like you were saying, they have to run through like a security process, right? They have to kind of. Put all those things, but I also wonder like it's also easier to launch like a fresh, uh, uh, like a greenfield app, right? Versus like an app that's been around. Now they have to deal with like maybe backwards compatibilities or something. Like maybe there's some existing issues now, right? Or maybe I-, I wouldn't know. But you would think with Lambda though, it's just like it's a new container completely. It's a new runtime. Like it's fresh, right? You just throw it away. So you would think they'd be able to roll out live
0: faster. Yeah, yeah, dude. As I mean, a bummer. It should just be like changing a number from like <laughs> 3. Dot... <laughs> like in the script that like creates the thing, change it from 3. Dot whatever, 7 to 3.8 <laughs> to 3.9 to 3.10. Like I don't know. It it's been a while, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: it changed the builder script exactly, right? And just, then just like slap like a beta one. Like, yeah, we're good. Year
0: plus it work. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't like. I'm sure. Like obviously, there's more to it than that. But like, whatever, whatever that is, like, don't do it. Just give, it, like, just give it to me as is. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I don't even know how long
1: uh, three eleven in Python has been out because I I don't do as much Python. But uh, it sounds like it's been a while. <laughs> no
0: the, the three three eleven three eleven is pretty recent. I mean, that just came out. I think last I forget. Like last last fall. You know, like last year, end of last year. Uh, so, th- okay, that's, like, it is pretty recent for that, but 3.10 came out, like, you know, over a year ago, and that's still not here either, so. Uh, dude, that's so new for you. That's actually better than Ruby, okay? <laughs> like, 3.0, like dude, came out,
1: like, two years ago, okay? <laughs> and they're in 2.7. I'm not even talking about 2.8 yet,
0: right? <laughs> uh, we should need it longer. <laughs> so, you're lucky. <laughs> nah, uh, yeah, I guess it could, it could, it could be worse, but, yeah. Uh... I don't know, yeah it just it's it's a little frustrating, uh, All good yeah yeah, I mean, if they want to take you know three months, four months, six months, I don't know, maybe that's reasonable, but over a year it seems like too much I don't know for like yeah. a minor version update up. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. I mean within six months that'd be kind of uh I feel like that's kind of reasonable, right, to kind of ask for.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw on, someone on complaining about this on Twitter, and then someone from AWS did respond, it was like, um, I don't know if it was like, like a DevRel person, but they said that the teams are working to make this process faster, but that's, I think that's all he said, so I don't know what that means, if it's like from a year and a half to a year, or like a year and a half to eight months, or I, I don't know what, what faster means in that context, but.
1: That's crazy. Ten x Six, to sixty x performance improvement. I didn't know about that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it depends a lot on what you're doing. Um, you know, I forget the details of it. You know, it's like obviously very workload dependent. Um, but, but yeah, why not? And then there's you know there's like some other minor language syntax improvements. I think they've been doing. A, I mean, they've been iterating pretty fast now. You know, like Guido van Rossum, like the Python founder he kind of stepped down and there's like a steering committee now and I, I don't know, they've been, I, I don't know, I haven't been doing Python full time for, for, for very long, so I don't know how it was before, but it seems like whatever new process they have now, like things have been iterating like pretty quickly, which is, is good. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah, maybe we should wrap up. I think we're...
1: Yeah, we're an hour into it, so <laughs> hopefully you got some bits here.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, this was I have like a train going by, but, <laughs> but yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun to catch up with you again, and uh yeah, record this, and I don't know. Hopefully, we. Can it's keep always it going. fun talking,
1: to you, dude.